The following program is for entertainment purposes only and may contain language of an explicit nature. Rants and Random Things with Skip Porter does not own the rights to any of the music or pre-recorded audio contained within this program. Man, what is this crap they're playing on the radio? Bruh, I don't even know what you're saying. Man, that sun is awful bright here today. And getting brighter. I can't hardly see the road. Is that a car in my lane? Oh, snap! Oh my god, that was so close. I swore we were gonna hit head on. Ah, now that's what I'm talking about right there. Must have picked up a better radio station when I swerved. I don't even want to get out of the car now. That's my joint. Ah, but let me run in this mall and get this outfit together for tonight. Let's see. Izod. Polo, polo, knockoff polo. Are those Calvin Klein jeans? I didn't even know they still made those. And is that a, a Hager washable suit? I haven't seen a collection like this since the 80s. They must be having a throwback sale or something. Well, very least, I guess I should get a new tie. Oh, hell no. They got skinny ties? Oh, yeah. I'm gonna play this bad boy tonight. Take them back. Let me check this out in the mirror. What the hell? Is that me? It can't be. I have a waist. I can see my feet when I look down. Is that is that hair on my head? And a tight fade complete with fresh waves? What 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 happened to me? Have I have I gone back in time or am I am I dead? Nope, not dead. That, that light, that must have been a time portal of some sort. I, I think I'm back in the 80s. Oh, it's all now. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, Skip. I remember all those time travel movies. Gotta be careful now, not to change anything. Otherwise, I could throw everything out of whack in my life. Maybe, maybe even in the world. <laughs> I put this together too. There it is. Can you guess who watched too many cartoons and sci-fi movies as a kid? Welcome to the foolishness that is the Rants and Random Things podcast. I am Skip Porter, your illustrious tour guide through this auditory nonsense. Something special for you this episode. This is a throwback edition of Rants and Random Things, the podcast. Today, I will take you back to where this whole Facebook obsession of mine started, my very first post, and I'll give you an overview of how we got from there to here. In keeping with the throwback theme, I will give you four of my favorite films from African-American directors in our segment, Peep This. COVID-19's had us all hemmed up for the last few months. I will share with you one of the things that I am missing the most this summer in the midst of this global pandemic. We'll give you three throwback classics in our music feature, What's in the Rotation, and yes, 
We will go back in time and find some folks that we wished we could have invited to one of our virtual pretend cookouts. And guess who's coming to the cookout? Oh, by the way, the little sketch that we opened the show with, more of that to come throughout the show today. So dust off that members-only jacket, squeeze into those Jordache jeans, and jump aboard the Wayback Machine. That is the throwback edition of the Rants and Random Things podcast. Dateline, November 20th, 2009. Subject, official video, lettucey, going through changes. Source, YouTube.com. Facebook rant. As a lover of music, I'm always listening out for someone to catch my ear. This young lady out of New Orleans has been around a minute, but she is just now starting to get the recognition she deserves. Those of you who know me pretty well know that I am tough to impress when it comes to music, but this young lady is no joke. Lettucey, Keep doing the damn thing, sister. Don't sleep on this talented artist. Embellishment. Now, if you've listened to past episodes of this podcast, you know that I rarely select any of my posts about music to share during this segment of the show, mostly because we have a music feature portion of the show called What's in the Rotation. But for today's throwback edition of the show, I will make an exception. I consider the post that you just heard my first official post to Facebook, although there were many friend requests and profile updates that preceded it. Singer Lettucey was really starting to come into her own on this particular album. She had had some successes with past projects, including a couple of Grammy nominations. I fell in love with her voice when I heard and saw her perform on a tribute to the legendary Quincy Jones. I didn't expect someone that young to have such a commanding voice, not to mention all the different styles and genres of music she was dabbling in. I have to say I was disappointed with how her projects had been promoted by the record labels. It has always been a problem for record labels trying to market an artist who doesn't fit neatly into one specific genre. Sadly, I believe some of the marketing and promotion issues were with Lettucey's aesthetic look. She was a dark-skinned, full-figured woman in a business where most of the stars are light-skinned, skinny, I'll just have a salad, even though it's obvious a strong breeze might blow me over type chicks. In the end, it was all good. True talent always rises to the top. I'm sure there are plenty of record executives that slept on Lettucey's talent that are probably kicking themselves right now. A little more background on this post. It was dated November 20th, 2009. I became a part of the Facebook Nation on November 10th of 2009. In researching my old Facebook post for this throwback edition of Rants and Random Things, I discovered quite a few things. For one, I noticed in my early years, I barely posted anything at all. I would occasionally comment on someone else's post or post a friend request, but that was about it. If I would go back now and scroll through my post from those early years, it would usually only take me maybe two or three page scrolls to get to the next year. Compared to now, where it took me damn near 10 minutes to scroll from the beginning of 2020 to the present. As with this post, many of my posts were about music. That will never change. Music is part of me on the daily. It's there when I'm happy, sad, lonely, or even angry, helping support or balance out those often raw emotions. I also noticed a lot, and when I say a lot, I mean a lot, of posts about my lovable but exasperating Cincinnati Bengals, including this hilariously pathetic one prior to a game versus Peyton Manning's Denver Broncos on December 22, 2014. Quote, 
Dear Mr. Peyton Manning, while I know it is against your nature to have a bad game, all of us in Bengal land would really appreciate it if tonight maybe you could just bring your B or C game to the jungle. P.S. Any tips you could give our quarterback before the game would be more than welcome. Thank you, respectfully, the Bengal Nation. And there was also a brief note attached to that to Bengals quarterback Andy Dalton. Quote, Dear Andy Dalton, remember, our team is the one in the orange and black uniforms. End quote. Sincerely, no picks tonight. I do believe we actually won that game, and I'm going to go on record and say it was due in large part to my negotiating skills. This excursion through my Facebook past revealed some very interesting things. Although the number of posts I made was fairly consistent from my sign-on year in 2009 through about 2014-2015, from that point on, they have grown in number exponentially each year. This growth just happens to coincide with the presidential campaign and eventual election of Donald Trump. Coincidence? I think not. And I hear you Trumpers in the background screaming, there goes another liberal blaming all the bad things on Trump. Hmm. It's funny how y'all forget for eight years, according to you, everything bad that happened in this country was Obama's fault. I'm just saying. I am of the opinion that the hell we are currently living in is at minimum 95% the result of the political social culture of hate that Trump has woven into the fabric of our nation. So I wouldn't expect the number of Facebook posts I make to slow down anytime soon. Perhaps the most stark revelation on my trip down Facebook memory lane hit me almost immediately when I began researching for this episode. It was not lost on me that many of the people that sent me friend requests in those early days on Facebook are no longer here with us. Friends from school, including my best friend from junior high school and my high school sweetheart, would all be gone just a few years after sending those friend requests. I feel blessed to still be here to help keep their memory alive, as well as be able to make new memories with all of you. So if you consider me your friend, just know I am honored, appreciative, and even though I may not say it often enough, know that I love you and I am grateful for you being a part of my life. I'm not a kid anymore, but some days I sit and wish I was a kid again. Back in the days when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore, but some days I sit and wish I was a kid again. <laughs> Lunchtime, Nut Hills High School. Wow, I remember this like it was yesterday. Oh, look over there at the Jim Steps crew. Watching all those barbecue grippos, hot pickles with the Fago Red Pop Chaser. There, one of you. Stick of gum or a pack of Tic Tacs. I'm wondering why don't nobody want to kiss you. You got the bubble guts by Seventh Veil. Oh, there go the athletes. Yeah, out there in the back circle playing buck buck. All of y'all gonna have back problems in the future. Oh, we can't forget about the infamous commons, where at lunchtime it becomes the land of the mind-boggling game of four square on steroids. Nine square. Yeah, never could figure out how to play. Is it expanded four square? Is it dodgeball? Is it both? Oh, there go my boy. Yeah, he's a nine square beast. Well, boy, of course, he never leaves himself enough time to shower or wash up after a game. You're just going to come straight on to English class and burn everybody's nostril hairs out with the armpits, huh? It's going to be a long day.
So I will preface our peep this portion of this throwback edition of Rant and Random Things by begging for your forgiveness. You see, I didn't develop my discerning taste in film until later in life. We're talking like midway through college. Up until then, I considered a good movie to be any movie with massive amounts of gunplay, violence, car chases, and gratuitous amounts of nudity. You are listening to probably one of the few people on Earth who has seen every single film in the Porky's movie franchise. Yeah. That said, none of the movies in this throwback edition will be from the 1970s or before. Not that there weren't many great movies during those eras, it's just that most of them I didn't see until much later in life. By the way, all the films featured in today's Peep This segment have one thing in common. They were all directed by African-American directors. Some you may know, some you may not, but hopefully by the time we're done, you'll be encouraged to go check out all of their work. Up first... It was spring break, 1987. I was a sophomore at Ohio University. I was in Columbus, Ohio on spring break to visit my grandmother and my girlfriend, who was also an Ohio University student. One evening, my girlfriend decided she wants to go check out a movie. I'm like, cool, let's do that. Right away, I knew this was gonna be a little different movie going experience than I was used to, because we headed in the opposite direction of where the closest major cineplex was. Instead, pulling up to a small little theater not far from the Capital University campus. I didn't recognize any of the films listed on the marquee. So I posed the question, uh, what are we going to see? The film was Robert Townsend's Hollywood Shuffle. Directed and co-written by Townsend, a film he financed by maxing out all of his credit cards, Hollywood Shuffle tells the story of an aspiring young black actor, played by Townsend, who just wants to make it in movies or TV without having to play stereotypic black roles. Told through a hilarious use of dream sequence vignettes, Hollywood Shuffle is based on the many real struggles that Robert Townsend and other black actors go through trying to find good roles in Hollywood. I don't know why we leaving Mouse's house. He been good to us. He feed us on Saturday, clothes us on Sunday, and then beat us on Monday. Or was it Tuesday? I, I you know. Jasper, don't you want freedom? We going to Promise Land. The Promise Land. Promise Land? Cleveland? No, Jasper. Baltimore? No, Jasper, the Promise Land. Oh, the Promise Land. Minnesota? And cut. Hi. My name is Robert Taylor, and I'm a black actor. I had to learn to play these slave parts. And now you can too, at Hollywood's first black acting school. Let's talk to a graduate. This is Ricky Taylor. Ricky graduated from our class three years ago. Ricky, can you tell us what you've been doing since you've graduated? Well, Robert, I've played nine crooks, four gang leaders, two dope dealers. I played a rapist twice. Whoa. (laughs) Currently, I'm filming a prison movie. I play this tough con that tries to f this new inmate. That sounds wonderful. I'm so happy for you. (laughs) Need I say any more? It's Hollywood's first black acting school. It teaches you everything. Classes are enrolling now. Learn to play TV pimps, movie muggers, street punks. Courses include Jive Talk 101, Shuffling 200, Epic Slaves 400, Dial 1-800-555-COON. Black acting school. Try to be cool, call Hollywood's first black actor.
acting school. Hilarious yet poignant, Hollywood Shuffle is one of those great comedies that last the test of time. Director Spike Lee packed a lot into his second feature film, 1988's School Days. Based in part on Lee's own experiences at historically black college Morehouse College in Atlanta, set in the world of fictional HBCU Mission College, School Days manages to touch on issues of elitism, classism, divestment from the apartheid regime of South Africa, the culture of hazing amongst black fraternities and sororities, and colorism. It is the latter that makes for some very interesting and often uncomfortable moments in the film. Earlier today, you told me not to let Julian bother me. So what's up with you and Jane, huh? What happened, Rachel? Usual. I don't give two about Oh, here see. we go. Here we go where? Don't start, all right? What are you talking about don't I start? I I have my problems with them, but with you, it's a crusade. I'm beginning to think you're colorstruck. You definitely have a thing against light-skinned blacks. Who, me? Yes, you. No, no, Rachel, it's them. It's not me. Come on, I adore Octoroon Quadroon Mulattoes. They're so unpure. And you're 100% pure. Massa was in your ancestor slave quarters just like everybody else. No, 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 no. No white blood in me. My stock 100% pure. Zulu, Maasai, Nubia, Naya, Mingi, You are so silly. Yeah, but on the serious tip, some of the wannabes are all right. The rest suck. If people are cool with me, Rachel, I'm cool with them. You're full of shit. And you need to check yourself on that tip. With a cast led by Lawrence Fishburne and Giancarlo Esposito, each character must come to terms with their own issues of what it means to be black, be a man, be a woman, be an adult. School Days is part musical, part comedy, and part expose on some of the very deep-seated issues that we as African-Americans have in dealing with each other. And if that weren't enough, it even gave us a great party anthem and a dance. Two Lawrence Fishburne films in one segment and one of them isn't Boys in the Hood? You got a problem with that? Yeah, well, as much as I will agree that Boys in the Hood was probably Fishburne's best performance on film to date, from a personal perspective, his favorite performance of mine is in 1992's Deep Cover. Fishburne plays a young police officer, Russell Stevens, recruited by the DEA to go undercover as drug dealer John Hall in an effort to bring down a West Coast drug cartel. As cop Stevens sinks deeper into his role as drug dealer Hall, the lines between right and wrong become blurred. Well, if that's all there is, I've been wasting my time with you. I can get more clout and more money on the street than I can get following your ass to Washington. Know what this whole time? I'm a cop pretending to be a drug dealer. I ain't nothing but a drug dealer pretending to be a cop. I ain't gonna pretend no more, Jerry. I quit. Fishburne's quiet yet commanding presence plays perfectly against his high-strung but clever partner in crime, David Jason, played brilliantly by Jeff Goldblum. 
Deep Cover was the second feature film directed by veteran actor Bill Duke. Duke elevates the film from your typical narrative of the perils of the drug game into something more seductive, poetic, and less cut and dry. Duke would go on to direct Fishburne again in 1997's Hoodlum, loosely based on the life of African-American gangster Bumpy Johnson. The deep cover soundtrack would also mark the first appearance on record by a young Long Beach, California rapper by the name of Snoop Dogg in a collaboration with rapper-producer Dr. Dre on the film's title track. I credit director Theodore Witcher's Love Jones for almost single-handedly turning me into a fan of romantic dramas. I, of course, had seen many other romance films, but none of them had featured African-Americans as the central characters of the cast. Love Jones stars Lorenz Tate in a stark departure from his critically acclaimed role as O-Dog in 1993's Menace to Society as Darius Lovehall, the smooth, debonair, aspiring writer and poet, and Nia Long in her first leading role as aspiring photographer Nina Mosley. Much like the initial chemistry between their characters, the acting chemistry between Tate and Long is fire. The strength of the supporting cast cannot be overlooked, which includes Lisa Nicole Carson before her retirement from acting for health issues, Isaiah Washington before he became something of a Hollywood pariah, Khalil Kane, Leonard Roberts, Bill Bellamy, and Bernadette Speaks, credited then as Bernadette L. Clark. These supporting characters help give Love Jones a sense of authenticity and believability. This is a joke, right? No, it's, it's not a joke. What's with the pillow with the, the blanket? What's, what's all that? I know, I know, it's a little bit awkward, but I was thinking that, um, well, I don't know, we had such, we had a perfect date, and I just, I just wanted to feel like I was saving something for later. Saving something for later? Baby, you ain't gotta save mine for later. I'd rather have it right now anyway. Nina, we've already done it before. I mean, we didn't already, you know, oh. repeatedly, so what's, what's with the couch? Don't be like that. <gasps> Come on, don't, don't, don't do this to me. I mean, it's gonna be cold out here. You'll be fine. All right, cool. You're right, I'll be fine. Yeah. Okay. Good night. Mm -hmm. Good night. Do you think you could just help me with this zipper? Cause sometimes it gets yeah, stuck. Yeah. See, now you plan. See, all we gotta do is just go upstairs and you know, I can take off all your clothes. Thank you. You know you ain't got to do this right. I don't know why you're playing like that. Night. Night. It's going to be mighty cold down here. Mind turning up the heat? Come on. No, not yet. The background of the production of Love Jones is just as interesting as the film itself. Theodore Witcher, who wrote and directed the film, wanted to bring a different story of the black experience to the silver screen. 
it was a tough pitch to the Hollywood studio system that was enjoying a huge amount of success with gritty street dramas like Boys in the Hood, New Jack City, and Menace to Society at the time. None of the major studios wanted to take the quote-unquote risk of financing a love story centered around African-American characters. The former independent distributor New Line Cinema picked up the film for a budget of $10 million. The film was critically acclaimed, but was considered a box office failure, bringing in just over $12 million. Much of that could be attributed to the limited number of screens that the film appeared on, just over 400. Although Love Jones never gained the audience it expected in theaters, thanks to annual showings on cable networks and streaming services, the film has gained a huge cult following. Love Jones is the first and only film directed by Theodore Witcher to this date. Oh, by the way, any discussion of Love Jones would be incomplete without the mention of the film's dynamic soundtrack, perhaps one of the best of its era. From Neil Soul Gems, from Lauren Hill, Maxwell, Michelle Indegio Cello, Dion Ferris, Trina Broussard, and many others, to jazz tracks from Cassandra Wilson and legends Duke Ellington and John Coltrane, there is not a single bad track on the entire project. From a huge fan of Love Jones, after 23 years, it might be time to revisit this classic romantic tale. Rants and Random Things with B. Skip Porter continues in just a moment. through what has no doubt been one of the most difficult years in most of our lifetimes, it is hard not to reflect on some of the things missing in our lives these days. As COVID-19 continues to wreak havoc worldwide, I wanted to take some time to reminisce on one of the things that the pandemic hasn't taken away, our memories. It is summertime after all, and for me, summertime means memories of concert seasons gone by. And when you're talking about concerts in Southwest Ohio during the summertime, there is none bigger than the event known as the Cincinnati Music Festival. Now some 50 years old, the Cincinnati Music Festival seems like it's been a part of my life for as long as I could remember. From the days that it was known as the Cool Jazz Festival, I would watch my parents get all dressed up to go hear the likes of Marvin Gaye, Patti LaBelle, Luther Vandross, while occasionally eavesdropping on their conversation with my Uncle Jack and Aunt Charlene, who came all the way from Indianapolis to check out the show. Uncle Jack was hilarious and was always good for saying something slightly inappropriate. Like when I was in middle school and he told me, quote, I can tell you exactly what you need to do to get rid of that acne, clear that right up, end quote. I'll let you work that one out on your own. In high school, the Jazz Fest, or the festival, as many locals still call it, meant rolling with my man D, who lived across the street. He was like two years older than me and had his own ride. So we'd dip out while my parents were at the concert and go kick it with what seemed like half the population of black teenagers in the city of Cincinnati down at Fountain Square. We spent most of the time people watching. By people, I mean girls. D tried and usually succeeded in getting a few phone numbers, all the while trying to hook me up with a girl's friend. Never went too well. One, because I was already sprung and in love, and two, I had no game. Get ready, because this July, it's gonna be hot, hot, hot. 
in Cincinnati. That's right. Get ready for the 1995 Coors Light Cincinnati Festival. The hottest music event of the summer just got hotter. Three big days. That's right. Three big days. July 28th, 29th, and 30th. Friday, Riverfront Stadium's gonna rock with Patti LaBelle and Boys to Men. After college came the best years of the festival for me. Working as the afternoon drive host and production director at WIZF The Wiz, I literally fell into an opportunity to produce the festival commercials for the entire region. It was a lot of work, but it paid pretty well, and it was a major ego booster to hear my voice on commercials playing in other cities. Not to mention the perk of getting a nice handful of tickets to give out to my friends and family members. I would usually get about 10 tickets for each night. Some of those would be great seats right on the field. The rest of them I like to refer to as, well, at least you got in tickets. Those were great years at what had by then become the Coors Light Riverfront Stadium Festival. I bitch from time to time about celebrities and their egos, but real talk, I understand how you can get the big head, because it's very easy to get addicted to that kind of treatment. The festival promoters treated us well. Limo rides to and from the radio station for whoever was hosting the evening show, fashion stylist for our stage clothing, shout out to my man Carlisle Williams, free food, free drinks, access to the luxury box. Yeah, that was a good life. Of course, the best part of all of this was the music. I had a stage side seat for some of the biggest names in R&B. I made small talk with the whispers right before they hit the stage. I accidentally walked in on saxophonist David Sanborn and his band as they were preparing to leave their dressing room. I watched the godfather of soul James Brown and the maestro Barry White from so close I could have gotten beads of sweat on me. I was privy to witness episodes of Divadom by artists like Anita Baker, not a favorite of the sound engineers or stage crew, and Luther Vandross who insisted his limo be pulled right up to the stage stairs so he didn't have to talk to anybody and that nobody be allowed on the side of the stage during his performance. On the flip side of that, I watched Mary J. Blige make a valiant effort to finish her set, even though it was very clear to everyone in the stadium that she was not at the top of her game. And almost every year I basked in the warm glow that always seemed to accompany the members of the band Maze and their fearless leader, Mr. Frankie Beverly, who once even gave me a high five as he was coming on stage. Always the last act of the night, Frankie Beverly and Maze were dynamic. It was truly amazing to witness the command that this man had over the crowd. There's got to be nothing that compares to having 40 to 50,000 people singing every word to every one of your songs. Frankie always owned the night. Since leaving Cincinnati for Dayton, I've only been back for the Cincinnati Music Festival maybe twice. A lot of that had to do with my schedule, working two jobs as a way of putting a damper on your leisure time. Some of it had to do with me aging out of the demographic of the artists that they were bringing in to perform. This year would have been a great year to return, with the likes of Charlie Wilson, Tony Tony Tony, the OJs, and of course, Miss Janet Jackson, all scheduled to perform. But alas, the Rona had other plans. It makes me wonder, will we ever get back to live concerts and performances the way they used to be? I hope so, because I miss them much. Yeah. 
Uh, time once again for the music feature portion of our show, a little something we call What's in the Rotation. Now, typically, what we would do is introduce you to the newest, latest on the music scene. However, in keeping with this episode's throwback theme, we're going to take you back. Back with songs of the struggle. Songs that were prevalent during the civil rights era, and to be honest with you, songs that are still relevant to this day because many of the situations they speak of are still happening today. Released in 1968, the story goes that James Brown had witnessed some infighting amongst members of the black community in Los Angeles and went back to his hotel room and wrote the song, Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud, on a napkin. The song would go on to become an anthem for the black power movement. Interestingly enough, Mr. Brown, whose political views began to lean toward the conservative later in his career, for the most part stopped including the song in his set list about a year after its release. Years later in his autobiography, Brown would say, quote, the song is obsolete now, but it was necessary to teach pride then. And I think the song did a lot of good for a lot of people, end quote. Still does, Mr. Brown, still does. Will my country fall and I fall? Is it too late for us all? And did Martin Luther King just die in vain? Three days after the assassination of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in 1968, Nina Simone and her band took the stage at the Westbury Music Festival in Long Island, New York, to perform this song, Why the King of Love is Dead. The song had been written by the band's bass player, Gene Taylor, in reaction to Dr. King's murder. The group learned the song the same day they were slated to perform it at the Westbury Music Festival, so there were no rehearsals. What you hear on this live recording is the real, raw, heartfelt emotion and outrage over one of the darkest moments in American history. Folks, you'd better stop and think and feel again. Are we headed for the brink? What's gonna happen? Now that the king of
Released just days after his tragic death in December of 1964, Sam Cooke's A Change Is Gonna Come still stands as perhaps one of the greatest songs ever written. Inspired partly by Cooke's love of the Bob Dylan song, Blowing in the Wind, the song speaks so poignantly of the time in which it was written and beyond. Then I go to my brother And I say, brother, help me please But he winds up knocking me Just months later, on March 7th of 1965, civil rights activists were beaten and tear-gassed as they attempted to cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama. The lyrics of Cook's song could have very well been describing that very scene, forever known as Bloody Sunday. A Change Is Gonna Come was written as a hopeful, optimistic view of what the future of America could be. How sad is it that we are still talking about and dealing with some of the same issues that the words of this song described some 55 years ago? Oh, yes it will. <sighs> oh, even back in this younger body, this ain't no joke. Track practicing. Coach is running the hell out of us again. Man, I should have stuck with baseball. I was good at baseball. Played my whole life. I hated running even in conditioning for baseball. Why would I join a damn track team? Oh, yeah, right. I was sprung. I don't even think I ever finished a race higher than fourth place. Too slow for the sprints. Not in shape enough to be a distance runner. Not strong enough for the field events. Congratulations, Mr. Porter. You're a quarter miler. That's 400 meters for those of you of the metric system generation. Oh, here comes the worst part. At 3.30 mark. Never fails. That monkey always waiting there to jump on your back. You know, I'm having second thoughts about this whole time travel thing. Why is the finish line so far away? Yeah, I know, I know. We're running a little long this episode. My apologies. Just wanted to finish up this little attachment I'm adding to this week's cookout invitations. Listen to this. Tell me what you think. <clears throat> Attention. Parents of children 17 and under, the Rants and Random Things Cookout Committee is pleased to announce a new feature at all of our future cookout events. Presenting Big Mama's Attitude Adjustment Tent. That's right. Inspired by an incident that occurred at the last cookout. We told y'all kids to stop playing with Big Mama. You'll all be pleased to know that little man man's lips have been found, and we are pleased to say that he is well on his way to becoming a Rhodes Scholar, and he's only in the third grade. So please, feel free to bring your badass kids to the next cookout. The first ass whooping is free. Subsequent ass whoopings are negotiable. 
All right, enough of this foolishness. Time to get to our guest list for Guess Who's Coming to the Cookout. In line with today's throwback theme, we have decided to invite a couple of folks who are no longer with us, but who inspired us with their gifts, and one who is still with us, but whose story has only recently returned to the spotlight. And let's speak plainly. We know, everybody knows, no matter what the professions of my unhappy country may be, that we are not bobbing people out of existence in the name of freedom. If it were freedom we were concerned about, then long, long ago, we would have done something about Johannesburg, South Africa. If we were concerned with freedom, boys and girls would not, as I stand here, be perishing in the streets of Harlem. We are concerned with power, nothing more than that. And most unluckily for the Western world, it has consolidated its power on the backs of people who are now going to die rather than be used any longer. In short, the economic arrangements of the Western world prove to be too expensive for most of the world. And the Western world will change these arrangements. All these arrangements will be changed for them. That is the ever so eloquent author, poet, essayist, and activist the late James Baldwin, taken from a 1969 conversation with comedian activist Dick Gregory and student activist in London. I will confess to say that I never learned much about James Baldwin in school, but many of his quotes have inspired me throughout my life. As a matter of fact, one of his quotes is my Facebook profile. I've only recently begun to dig deeper into his life and have learned what a fascinatingly complex man he was. Baldwin never saw himself as a leader in the civil rights movement, more of a witness or documenter of the changes that were trying to be brought about. Whether with the pen or with his skill as a public speaker, Baldwin never hesitated to tell the truth, no matter how uncomfortable it was. I would have loved to ask him what he thought about where we are as a country right now. From racial equality to equality for the LGBTQ community, Baldwin identified as a gay man, what would he think of how far we've come or not come. If nothing else, if Baldwin were to come through our cookout, I would like him to provide some of our guests with a reading list. Now, some of y'all ain't read anything longer than an Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook post in years. It was a story that didn't get much attention in the national headlines when it happened in 2006. Then Buffalo police officer Cariel Horn intervened as a fellow officer, Greg Kwiatkowski, had placed a suspect, Neil Mack, in a chokehold after he was already in handcuffs. Horn reported her fellow officer. What did she get for doing the right thing? Disciplinary charges from the Buffalo Police Department and a pink slip just two years later, a termination that conveniently came just a few months before the 20-year veteran of the force was eligible to collect her full pension. Kwiatkowski sued Horn and her lawyer for defamation. Suspect Neil Mack maintains to this day that former officer Horn saved his life that day, despite a lawsuit that he filed against the Buffalo PD and Kwiatkowski being dismissed. After witnessing on video the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis and watching her former Buffalo Police Department colleagues shove a 75-year-old protester to the ground, causing him to bleed from his head, Carrie O'Horn has become an activist for police reform. 
Warren is pushing for legislation on an amendment to the city charter called Carriel's Law, which would protect police officers from retaliation for reporting the alleged misconduct of fellow officers. Ironically, in 2018, Officer Greg Kwiatkowski was sentenced to four months in prison for using unlawful and unnecessary force against four black teenagers. Recently, there has been a call for the New York State Attorney General to revisit Carriel Horn's case. Because of the binding arbitration agreement that resulted in Horn's firing, she is still not eligible for her pension. Carriel Horn, you are a hero in our book. It goes without saying that Prince was one of my musical icons. Very few artists have given more to music, both artistically and from a business standpoint, than Prince. I actually got very close to meeting him one time Upon visiting my cousin in Minneapolis, a former college classmate of mine who was working as a recording engineer at Paisley Park invited me to take an insider's tour of the famed studios. As we were sitting in the lobby preparing to leave, here comes the man himself walking across the hall, high heel boots and all, to his private suite. That's as close as I got. There are many things I would love to have asked Prince. As a fellow creative type person, although him up there at the genius level, me down here at the you really know what you're doing level, I would love to know how he was able to always keep his material and ideas fresh. And did he ever have any long dry spells where the ideas simply didn't come? I would ask him what was going on with his health that caused him to accidentally OD on fentanyl. Hundreds of questions about songs and song lyrics. But here's probably what would really happen if Prince came through our cookout. Me being such a fanboy, I would probably piss him off by asking him something stupid like, was that really a Grammy I saw sitting on top of a cardboard box in the storage room when I visited Paisley Park? You could tell me. Prince, Prince, where are you going, man? I'm sorry. Yeah, that's how it probably would go down. And everybody at the cookout would be mad at me, talking about, well, Prince just left, party's over, skip it up for everybody. That'll do it for this episode of Rants and Random Things with me, Skip Porter. I want to say thank you to everyone that has listened to and supported this podcast. We are going to be taking a bit of a hiatus to sort of recharge our creative batteries and to work on some logistical issues. Please be sure to hit that star button on the Anchor podcast page so you'll be alerted when the show returns. Feel free to leave us a voice message about the show as well through the Anchor platform. By the way, don't run away. The final segment of our little sketch is coming up here momentarily. Until next time, please stay safe, stay strong, and mask up. Mr. Porter? Mr. Porter, wake up, sir. Uh, what? Where am I? Was, I? was I dreaming? Oh, currently, sir, you are at a classified government medical research facility. And no, sir, you were not dreaming. You did, in fact, accidentally discover a time portal which transported you back to the past. We were fortunate enough to be able to set up surveillance of the area where you disappeared and be there when you somehow managed to make your way back here to the present. Oh, thank goodness. I don't think I was really cut out to do the whole high school thing again. Although I sure didn't miss the problems that we have today with the racial tensions, pandemic, and that clown Trump in the White House. Clown? President Trump? I'm sorry, sir. I don't understand. You know, the racist, sexist, narcissistic fool that calls himself the president? Hmm, I see. Very interesting. Mr. Porter, you didn't happen to change anything in your life when you were there in the past. Huh? Change? No, of course not. I, I, I've seen the movies. Mr. Porter? <sighs> okay, I did change one little thing. I quit the track team. I went back to playing baseball. I mean, really, how much could that have changed anything? Hmm... 
Well, sir, it seems you may have, in fact, changed the course of this nation. Wow. Really? How? Well, you see, sir, you apparently had quite a successful high school and college baseball career. So much so that you went on to play professionally for your hometown Cincinnati Reds and had a better-than-average career. Apparently, during an interleague game in New York City between the Reds and the Yankees, the crass, arrogant, narcissistic Donald Trump you remember was in the stands that night. Sometime during the fifth inning, he was hit squarely in the head with a line-drive foul ball off of your bat. After about a month of recovery, people started noticing a kinder, friendlier, more giving Donald Trump. Much to the chagrin of his family, he became a regular supporter of the NAACP and racial and social justice initiatives. He lobbied Congress for gun control regulations and police reforms. After his election to the presidency, he was able to gain bipartisan support for gender equality in the workplace and for stronger legal protections of the LGBTQ community. He used the power of his presidency to empower fair immigration reforms, whereby everyone was afforded a fair opportunity to present their case for citizenship. He signed into law the reparations bill, which gives millions of dollars each year to the descendants of slaves in this country. He pressed through the strongest hate crimes reform legislation in history. And with the help of former President Barack Obama, President Trump helped save countless lives with his response to the coronavirus pandemic, actually pouring his own personal money into the development of a vaccine, which has paid off with active plans to begin vaccinating frontline workers and the rest of the nation in the next few weeks. So you see, Mr. Porter, your simple act of going back to playing baseball in high school has apparently drastically changed the course of history. Oh, oh my God. I actually did make a difference. Oh, wow. What a dream. Hmm. If only.